Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we come in Jesus' name that you would uh, move powerfully, first and foremost, in our lives and then around the community around us, Father. Lord, we thank you so much for the ways you have worked, the ways you continue to work. Lord, we, we rejoice that you gave yourself for us, Father. You know, some days it's one of the greatest news in the entire world, and some days we wonder if we're even worth being given for, Father. And yet you remind us consistently, consistently that it never was really about us and as much as it was about your love for us. Lord, I pray that we could rest in that love, that we could abide in that love, that we move forward in that love, and then that love would transform us. Thank you for the fellowship of believers. Thank you for your spirit that empowers us to walk faithfully to you. And thank you that we have a day where there will be a great reunion with you for all of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... I have had the privilege of growing up in a very diverse community in South Florida. South Florida is radically <clears throat> diverse. There's all sorts of people and backgrounds. And when I was able to become a follower of Jesus, I was able to be invited to a whole host of homes. You, many of you are familiar with um, the freshman 15, your first year of college, you gained 15. <laughs> I feel like there is a first year of following Jesus 20, <laughs> where everywhere you go, someone is feeding you, and you are eating a lot, more than you probably, at least more than I ever did. If I show you a picture of me a year before I got baptized, you'd be like, where, where is that guy? He's somewhere in here. <laughs> but I was able to sit in the homes of so many families through the years. There was one family in particular that I would go over their house fairly regularly, their Peruvian family. And one of the things I realized almost immediately when I would sit with this family is when they got together to eat, once the food came out, they wanted everyone in the same room. And the table wasn't large enough to have everyone at the table, but they wanted everyone in the same room. And it's almost like without hesitation, the joke started happening. Like everyone joked. It was just such a festive affair. It didn't matter what was going on in life. I could have had a talk with um, the, 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 the dad or the siblings, and they could be talking about financial hardships, but once the food came out, everyone started joking, and everyone was grateful for what they had. It was powerful. As many of you know, I'm of Haitian descent. My mom and dad are Haitian, but there were a lot of also Haitians in the community of believers um, in Miami as well, and I had an opportunity to go over a lot of their houses. And without fail, once the food came out, someone complimented the food. Even if you just took one bite, you're just like, this, was, this is really good rice. And I'm like, I don't know if you could get that from one bite. I think you need a couple of bites. But someone was always complimenting the food, and they built up whoever cooked the meal. Whoever cooked it up, they built them up. They're like, wow, this is so great. This is amazing. And then, at some point, the teasing one another started happening. Now, they did it in good fun. Sometimes it got discouraging, but largely, people start teasing people. For it could have been anything. It could have been any random thing. They would start teasing you. Like, you're like, oh, you still have a Motorola phone. And you're like, oh, and everyone starts piling out on you. But there was also a point in a Haitian household where it got competitive. Someone got better grades. Someone runs better. Someone's doing business better. And we just, again, it, it was cool. It wasn't like competitive at each other's throat, but it's like, ah, yeah, you did okay. And then 
It was awesome. It was good. And lastly, people always left the Haitian meal just striving for greatness. Everyone talked about what they were going to do, how they were going to do it, how they were going to live. And it just was a normal part of the different houses I went over. African-Americans, different from our, our, our Haitian brothers and sisters, you know, as soon as the food come out, and it comes out in sections. It don't come out all at once. The main portion comes out, but then everything else comes out in sections, and there's jokes. Jokes and jokes and jokes. And it seems like the older you get, the funnier you become. <laughs> like the most mature person in the household has the best jokes. It's like they've been, they've been cultivating it, massaging it, and they have some of the best jokes. You look at someone, you're like, oh, that's an 89-year-old person. They got no jokes. They got a ton of jokes. They have 89 years worth of jokes. But then it could turn serious on a dime. Talk about religion. And talk about what they believe. You know, even if you disagree with them theologically, like things like the rapture and all this other stuff, it just turns serious just like that. You were like, we were just talking about marshmallows and now we're talking about the end of the world. <laughs> on a drop of a dime. And then jump right into politics. Who we don't like, who we don't want to vote for, it could just turn and then jump right into sports. So you're just shifting the conversation. They're just moving and you're like, this person ain't that good. And then you just go back and forth in entertainment. But at some point, you're going to pray. At some point, everyone's going to pray. And someone's going to hold you accountable for not bowing your heads if you don't pray. <laughs> and again, they pull each other in with lighthearted teasing. And unlike the Haitian culture, which I appreciate, I appreciate all cultures, this culture is you outdo one another in showing encouragement. You walk in and you're looking fresh. Someone's going to be man, you look so fresh. I'm trying to get like you. And you know what they're going to do? Nah, I'm trying to get like you. Look at those shoes, man. You look, and it just keeps going. You just keep complimenting each other, keep complimenting each other. You're like, you're like wow, this is really awesome. And then they get, if there's family there, then it gets a little personal. I've been able to be blessed to sit in the home of people of German descent. You know, the table is set up. They know how many people are coming to dinner. Like... They're like, listen, I'm expecting 14 people, so there's 14 seats right here. You know, the, the eating utensils are out, so you got your stuff for the, uh, what they call it, salad, your stuff for the soup. You just got them all laid out right in front of you. Lighthearted conversation. No one gets too, mm, just a little bit of, how's school going? How's work? Oh, that's amazing. Someone introduces someone else into the conversation. All these other groups, you jump in where you fit in. But someone else will be like, hey, you should tell them about such and such. And that was that person's turn to get into the conversation and start talking about things and blah, 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 blah. And then once this end time has happened, the host stands up, starts escorting people to the door. <laughs> Just gently. They're not trying to be mean, but it's like I said dinner from 6 to 7.15, so at 7.15, 7.10, I'm getting up, I'm packing everyone's food while they're still talking, and then at 7.15, I lead you to the door. And if you're from a different culture, you're like, yo, did he just kick me out? And he's like, no. You're like, no, 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 they didn't kick you out. They, they, they're trying to respect you by ending it at 7.15. Ain't like, if you really respect me, I leave when I want to. If you're from a different culture. But if you're not from those cultures and you visit other places, you may want to leave. Why do I share all of that? Family meals have a way of forming us. And yep. every single one of those situations, I learned what it means to fill in the blank. I learned what it means to be a LaFrance. I learned what it means to be a Johnson. I learned what it means to be a Jones. I As I'm sitting at the meal and I'm with those families, I'm like, oh, this is why you behave this way. This is why you think this way. Because the meal is one of the most transformative things that most of us engage in. Mm -hmm. 
And it is amazing what Jesus emphasizes here. You see, a structure that facilitates community is the mill. And each one of us know and understand how the mill forms us, or if we didn't grow up with family mills, how much we don't know about our lives because we didn't sit around a mill. You know, communion is intended to form us as the people of the kingdom of God. As we gather collectively, weekly, to take communion, it's supposed to form us as the people of God. And we're going to read about that today as we journey closer to the cross. Luke chapter 22, verse 14 to 23. Luke chapter 22, 14 to 23. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves, which of them it might be who would do this. Passover is the big event for the Jewish people. It's a big event. It's the event that they celebrated their liberation from Egypt. They were under Egyptian rule, and God, through the ten plagues, led them out um, with leaders like Moses and Aaron and several others who played a huge role in that. And then around 500 B.C., they went into exile because they were not faithful to the covenant. A lot of prophets point to that, that they were not faithful, and, and, and the Jewish nation went into exile. And so this period, from that period when they went to exile till now, was known as the Second Temple period, and people were longing for God to liberate his people again. They knew they didn't rule the way they wanted to. They knew they didn't have their own land. They were under Roman rule or Greek rule or other people, but they wanted their own freedom again. And so every time they gathered and took the Passover meal, they were longing for God to act like that again. You see, the exodus demonstrated to Egypt and the onlooking nations that Israel was God's special people. God was their redeemer. The Passover was the event that preceded the birth of this nation, the birth of the Israelite people. You know, the last plague against the Egyptians was the death of the firstborn. That's what it means, Passover. The firstborns, anyone who put the blood of the lamb on top of the doorpost, their firstborn would be passed over. And if you didn't, then you would lose your firstborn. Some important context. So this meal was usually shared between two or three families. And you usually invited the people you were close to. So you got the people you were close to, the two or three families, you come together, someone gives a little talk, and then a little kid comes in and participates and asks the question that's in Deuteronomy 6, Why are we doing all of this? And then they share that God liberated us, God freed us, that this is our story. You see, Passover was a sign that God would do this again one day. And the Israelites longed for this. They longed for it. And it's in this event that Jesus announces this new covenant. It's in this event that Jesus tells us about communion. Jesus could have chose any weekend to go to the cross. But it was this weekend in particular he wanted to because he wanted us to connect that story with the present story that we're reading. 
It is in this event that Jesus explains his final hours. Passover liberated the Israelites. What Jesus was about to do would liberate the entire world. This is needed. This is needed. This meal right here is needed because it reminds us of the kingdom that's being ushered in. What is the kingdom? God's effective rule and reign in this world. I've talked about this in the past, the already but not yet. God's kingdom comes in stages and it's the already but not yet. This meal is inauguration meal that's ushering in the kingdom of God. And Jews long for the day. They long for the day where God would come in and set the world right, that he would bring this great unity amongst the Jewish people. There will be a golden age like David's reign and the Messiah will usher that in. You see, but Jesus redefined these expectations. That's the slide you're looking at right now. Jesus redefined these expectations around the kingdom according to his plan and ministry. His invitation to people to enter the kingdom was a way of calling them to allegiance to himself and his way of life. The Gospels point to Jesus and his way of life as the saving reign of God. For Jesus, the kingdom was not coming in a single moment, but in stages. His public ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his second coming. You know, I love Dallas Willard's short phrase for the kingdom of God. It's whatever God wills and it's accomplished. So whatever God wills to happen and it's accomplished, that's the kingdom of God. You are sitting in the presence of the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus' ministry is a new exodus. We are being released from the powers and principalities and the spiritual forces that hold us in slavery spiritually. Now, you may be thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm free as a bird, man. I fly. I do my thing. Unless you keep coming at people on social media and then they put you in social media jail. I didn't know that was a thing until fairly recently that you could go to social media jail. Anyhow, but you're like, I'm, I'm free. I could do my thing. I'm out here. What the scriptures talk about when they say powers and principalities, there is a, a vibe, if you will, that you know where you could do Christianity. And there's a vibe where you know you can't do Christianity. We all, we all all experienced it. I've shared this before with you guys, and I'll share it again. How many of you have ever just been in a long line and someone pulled out, like, the coupons? <laughs> you were joyful. You were happy. You were enjoying your life. And then the coupons come out, and it takes one person. <sighs> and then just like that power just goes through the entire line, and we're all grumbling. <laughs> we're all like, oh, and now you're just hoping no one talks to the cashier. No one treats the cashier like a person. Everyone just move on because now you're like that. Just you're like, how did that even happen? How did I walk in in this situation? And instantly my emotions just shifted tremendously. The scriptures will say that's the powers and principalities. Many of us have been in places where we feel like, man, to be honest, to have integrity doesn't seem like it's going to work here. Honesty and integrity in this setting is not good. Like the, the waves of the kingdom is actually going to get me hurt. You are in the presence of the powers and principalities. And so Jesus is setting us free from that. So even when we are in those places, through the power of his spirit, through his, 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 his teaching, we could go in those places. And when everyone else loses their cool, we could still bring the kingdom by being patient. Yeah. You could be in that line and everyone's grumbling and you can lean back. Well, at least we're not in a rush, right? It could be worse. We could be dead. And they're like, okay. <laughs> you know, you, you could bring that. You could bring the calming presence. Some of us are like, oh, I don't want. This is what he set us free from. And, and there's more things. This is just a lighthearted situation. There's so much more deeper yeah. things that we're being set free from in terms of the powers and principalities. Yep. But the people of Israel are in a kind of exile right now because they rebelled against God. So this is different than the Israelite exile. They went into exile not because they sinned. Um, Pharaoh and his people abused their power and took advantage of them. 
But this present exile is a result of their sins. And so before God could free the people, free us, free all people, sins needed to be dealt with. And Paul, and really I would argue even the entire New Testament makes it very clear that the root cause of sin is idolatry. What are you worshiping? will cause you to sin. If you are worshiping God, then you will not choose sin. But if you're not worshiping God, you will choose sin. Because these things are not in line with God's will. Let's look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to zero in on verse 21 through 25. So this is a different kind of exodus because, again, sins are being dealt with. The first exodus did not deal with sins because Israel was not guilty of sins on why they went into slavery in Egypt. They were sinned against. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for lies and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Paul is saying, you know, once we start worshiping things, we, we exchange the truth of who God is. God is the lens in which we need to see the world and recognize that his lens through his death, burial, and resurrection points to, I know what I'm looking at. I'm going to trust how Jesus sees the world. He's like, once we move from that, whatever else we give to is a lie. And this communion reminds us that we've been set free from the lie, that we've been set free. You know, St. Thomas says the heart is an idol factory. It always consistently reproduces. One of my um, family members is not a follower of Jesus. I love him deeply, still love him deeply. And he asked me one day, why do you go to church every week? Like, he, he, he was a little snarky. He's like, you guys are like the most committed book club. You know, you guys read the same book every Sunday. You're like a minister and you've been reading this book how long? Like at some point, you got to have heard everything. Like, do you need to go to church on Sunday? And I said, fair point. He's a, he, he played um, high school football. He's, he's still very much in shape. I'm like, why do you go to the gym consistently? You did every workout. You've had a six-pack. Why do you keep going? And he's like, oh, I can't maintain this six-pack without it. Train yourself to be godly. I'm like, dude, I go because it's easy for me to get pulled back in to what I left. I'm like, I get reoriented every Sunday the same way when you go to the gym. Those same pecs that you've been working on for the last couple of years, it still need to be worked on. At no point do you arrive at peckism. Where you're like, I've been doing this long enough, now my pecs are solid. I don't got to do it anymore. You got to keep working at it. And the same thing spiritually. I have to keep working on my faithfulness to Jesus. I have to keep working. I have to keep orienting myself to my faithfulness to Jesus. And he said, well, good luck with that. And I said, thank you. <laughs> I love him. I, I pray for him daily, man. I, I, I love that dude. Uh, you see, Jesus' death deals with sin. When he dies, he deals with sin. Jesus' resurrection deals with death. Once he raised from the dead, we no longer have to fear death. And this communion is celebrating that. This communion is centering us on Jesus. It's a meal centered on Jesus.
Table fellowship is where we sit and we have commonality. The commonality that we should be having is who Jesus is for us as a people. But it's centered on Jesus, not who Jesus is for us, but who Jesus is. This meal is centered on Jesus' body and his blood. It's a covenant-making meal. It's a meal done in anticipation of the kingdom of God coming in its fullness. And here, most of the time, if you hadn't thought too deeply about it, you're like, I take a little cracker, drink a little juice. Hey, keep it pushing. This is something that is intended to orient us and bring us to an anticipation of the kingdom of God. I love this quote from Tim Chester in his book, A Meal with Jesus. Jesus is the host of the Messianic banquet. And the Last Supper mirrors this. Peter and John are told to prepare the meal. But the preparations have already been made by Jesus. On the night before he dies, Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to prepare a place for them in his father's house. Jesus is the host and he prepares a place for us through the cross. Jesus is the Passover lamb. His blood is dabbed over our lives. The Lord passes over us and we are redeemed from our empty way of life. We are redeemed so we can come to the mountain of God, eat and drink with God. You see, this meal is intended to decenter us. We are all tempted consistently seven days of the week, 24 hours of the day, to make ourselves the most important people in the entire world. This meal is to decenter us and remind us that the most important person in the entire world is Jesus. Jesus is the most important person. This meal is intended when we slow down like, man, if I got nothing else and I got Jesus, I got a lot. I got it all. And if I got everything else and I ain't got Jesus, I got nothing. And this meal is intended to satisfy us. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 16 through 17. This meal is intended to decenter us and also satisfy us. Luke 9, 16 through 17. This is the feeding of the 5,000. Luke 9, 16 through 17. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave things... And broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples and distributed to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The same language took, gave thanks, broke, gave is what we just read in Luke 22. And it's intended to help us remember verse 17 that this meal should satisfy us. That's hard in this cultural present moment where you want great jobs, you want a great life. Sometimes you just want everything to be great. And this meal is intended, like it says in verse 17, to satisfy us. Man, this world does not know anything about satisfaction. It's never enough. I'm a victim of that never enough. I remember telling myself, man, if I ever make X amount of dollars, I'll be so happy. I don't need another dollar. And then I got X amount of dollars. I'm like, I want more money. I remember I said, man, I'm going to be so happy if I marry an amazing woman. And I did. And then I woke up in the morning and I wasn't happy. I'm like, not only do I want an amazing woman, I want this and I want that. I want this. I just want everything. I want everything. And I know I shouldn't, but I know I just want it. This meal reminds me I got enough. I got absolutely enough. Even if I die and never am a homeowner, I got enough. Even if my knees will never be back to where it was and I can stop telling you guys about stories about how it was good in basketball and show you I'm still good. 
I got enough. I still pray for a miracle. You guys pray with me. Say, fix this knee so I can show you that I'm really, I really was good. Not, not D1 good, not D2 good, maybe D3, but I was good. This meal is intended to satisfy us. You know, what we end up doing a lot of times when we take communion, we go into um, somber mode where we think about all of our sins, we think and where we fall short. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I think that it needs to humble us, that Christ gave his body for us, gave his blood for us. But this really should be a celebration. You really should be saying, like, God, no matter how crazy my week has been, no matter how crazy it will be, you, you love me. You love me and you gave yourself for me. This meal is a call to participation. Like this meal, you take the bread, you take the cup, and you go around and tell people, I'm living in this present kingdom now. I'm, my lifestyle, the way I am living my lifestyle is ushering in the kingdom now. When Jesus says, this is my body broken for you, this is the cup of my blood poured out for you, we recognize the violence of the kingdom. We recognize that this kingdom did come with violence. And yet, Jesus did not retaliate in violence, but he showed us a different way of how to truly live life. And this meal is a participation to that. That when we take this meal, we recognize the evils of the world, we recognize the violence of the world, and yet we sit back and we are the most hopeful people the world has ever seen. Followers of Jesus should be the most hopeful people the world has ever seen. I feel like in our present moment, catastrophizing everything is just where it's at. I, I, a couple of months ago when, when the, I don't even know if it's still at its height, but when inflation was, at, I thought, at its height. There's going to be no more bread. I'm like, no more bread? I don't even eat bread like that, you know, trying to do a low-carb diet and stuff like that. But I'm like, I know it was going to be awful. You guys remember during the, the, mid, the, 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 the height of the pandemic, what was missing? Toilet paper. And flour. But toilet paper. You're like, what is going on that we had to take all the toilet paper? <laughs> That's just where we were, because we catastrophize. You know, we're, we're, we're training our kids to catastrophize. You know, back in the day when you got a C, you were like grateful you passed. Now you're like, that kid is going to end up in community college and never make it. And now the kid is like, man, I'm, I'm melting. We need to tell people like, it's okay, man. God has a plan for you with your 2.0. <laughs> the Lord hasn't forgotten the 2.0 people, let, let alone the 1.1 and the 0.0. But we catastrophize, and this meal reminds us that God isn't looking at our GPA. That he gave himself for us. We catastrophize a lot, and we need to be people of hope where we can look and be like, it could be worse. And even if it's the absolute worst, I have a hope that I could look forward to. It's a new covenant. Let's go to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Jeremiah is in the middle of your Bible, kind of. If you get to Isaiah, one book over. If you're on your phone, J-E-R. It's just the first three. It's those, usually the phone never spells out the whole thing. It's in the middle. And Jeremiah is a prophet that's announcing the impending exile of the um, people of Judah. And in the midst of him announcing this exile, he gives this prophetic hope. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. And though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors and say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. That word covenant is a relational term. It signifies a bond of loyalty and commitment. It's a formally, it's a formally agreed upon promise. You know, at Sinai, God promised Israelite he would be their God and they would be his people, but they broke their promise. And God is like, I'm so faithful to what I'm trying to do. I'll still reestablish a new promise with you that will be less dependent on you and more on the faithfulness of Jesus to redeem his people. And we get an opportunity to be a part of that same promise. The body broken for us, Isaiah says, heals us. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus, in this moment, becomes Israel's representative to take the curse of the law. At the end of Deuteronomy, God says, if you guys aren't faithful, this is going to be the consequences of it. And, and honestly, it's the natural consequences of not being faithful to God. And Jesus becomes Israel's representative and essentially the world's representative to take the curse of that law, to deal with that curse, and to set all people free. Let's go to Galatians three thirteen through 14. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the spirit. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He set us free from the curse of the law. He set Israel free, which essentially set um, the blessing that he said that he wanted Abraham to be. It wasn't able to be executed because the people were under curse. But that was set free. And now everyone can experience the blessing that he promised through Abraham. And the consequences of Israel breaking the law are now absorbed in the person of Jesus. Gentile and Jew alike are saved from the ultimate curse of the law, which is exile, separation from the presence of God. And we get to experience that now through the spirit dwelling on us, through us taking communion, through us having fellowship. We are not exiled from the presence of God, even if you feel like God is so far from you right now. If you are faithfully following Jesus, he is right there with you. He is in the thick of it with you, walking with you. And later we will know fully what that is like. This blood poured out for you. Matthew 26, verse 28 speaks a little bit more clearly here. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The exile happened because the people were disobedient, like I mentioned. But Jesus turns that. He actually takes sin on his flesh so it can be condemned. Let's go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus trades our place so we can be like him. He became like us so we could be like him. 
What Paul is alluding to is a transformation that takes place when we put our faith in Jesus. We become like Jesus. He doesn't say so that we could think about the righteousness of God. He doesn't say that we can kind of sort it. He's like, we become. That word become is a word of transformation. When you take communion, you are participating in your transformation to become the righteousness of God. Other translations can translate this to become the justice of God. That the way we live and the way we move in this world, when we take communion, we should be walking away like, man, the kingdom is here. And now I want to bring this kingdom wherever I go. He becomes like us so we could become like him. The righteousness of God. This meal is about the very presence of God. My body, my blood. You know, a lot of you may have like different experiences with high church. High churches are churches with liturgies, smoke spells, and all the other stuff. And you hear, like, this is my very present, and you could be like, whoa, I don't know. We're not talking about transubstantiation. I can't even pronounce that word. We're not talking about that. We're talking about when we take this meal, we are sharing it in the very presence of the risen Lord. Think about this meal. Every one of the 12 disciples who took it, Judas included, got an opportunity to share in this meal. I think a lot of times we're like, man, you got to be perfect to share. Judas took this meal and he already had the money in his pocket. Crazy, right? Like Judas already, that money was like they already gave him 30 pieces of silver. I'm not saying we want to be in here getting ready to betray Jesus. That's really not saying that. What I'm saying is Jesus' grace and mercy is, whoa. Yeah. Man, I got so far to go in my sanctification. If I knew you were going to betray me, I knew you were going to get me killed. I ain't passing the bread to you. I'll forgive you. Yeah, pass me the bread. Nah, man, you got some stuff in your heart. I see it. And I would have <laughs> kept, it, kept it going because I ain't there yet. But I pray I will get there one day. But right now, I'm like, you got some stuff in your heart. And I feel like I came a long way because before I would have not, I may not have showed up. And if I did show up, I would have called it out. Now I'd be like, okay, if it got to happen, it got to happen. But I ain't passing you no bread. <laughs> it's a participation in the story of God. We get to sit in the very presence of Jesus and we get to participate in this story. Living into the kingdom day in, day out. You know, that's one of the hardest things as followers of Jesus and communion is supposed to remind us of that, that we don't check in and out of the kingdom. You're not in the kingdom when you walk in this room and then when you walk out, forget everything until next week. You are faithfully and consistently thinking about the very presence of God, thinking about your faithfulness to that covenant and how that covenant is going to impact everywhere you go. You see, this communion is a model of how the world is going to be. People sharing everything with one another because of the blood of Christ. In other words, this, this meal that we take is a foretaste of the last meal that we will have when the kingdom is ushered in. And so we're eating in between the times. You know, Jesus' last meal inaugurated the future meal, but we're in a meal in between that meal. So we're eating in between the times until the last meal shows up. This meal is an act of community in a hyper individualistic age. It's hard to think about other people. We always think about ourselves. This meal is calling all of us. We all have this mutual par- partnership in the gospel. I'm not asking us to do this today, but it's really hard to even think of this meal as a community because when we eat it, we're facing this way and we got our head down. Really, we should be looking at each other as we have this meal. We are all participating in this amazing story of God. 
We are all finding ourselves in this story of God. And it's key to our formation and it allows us to be healed and be forgiven and to be storied into his story. You see, Passover is a freedom meal. How much more to communion? This is a freedom meal. You see, the Exodus represented a new family and a new story and a new life for the people of Israel. How much more this meal? Communion is sharing in Jesus' death and participating in his new life. The names of the meal is really interesting. There's so many different names for this meal. You got Eucharist, which means the thank you meal. You have the Lord's Supper, which kind of points to the idea of that initial night that it took place. Then you have um, communion, which really means community, participation, mutual partnership in this meal. Then you have mass, which means eat this thing and go. Like the, the names that people have chosen over the years to describe this meal speaks to its significance. This meal is a taste of what is to come. Sometimes because we do it every week, we, we lose, it loses its specialness. I get that. But it's a taste of what's to come. It's supposed to be a joyous meal. And how do you get into this family? You get baptized into this family, and the, the communion is the family meal. This is the meal. The, the exodus um, allowed the Israelites to escape from the powers of evil. Our baptism allows us to escape from the death of this world and the evil. The exodus allowed God to be present with them in the tabernacle. This meal reminds us that God is present with us as we share in his meal that recognizes his faithfulness. We recognize our need for Jesus and we receive it. Here's the cool thing. It wasn't done intentionally. Back in the day, we used to pass the tray, which was awesome. But I think there was a passiveness there that we didn't get to really sit and think about what we were doing. Now, all of you collectively get get up and go get Jesus. You are collectively choosing, hey, I want to participate in this story of Jesus. And that's powerful. Think about that. No one is saying here like, you better go. You can sit where you are. I wouldn't tell you anything. No one else will tell you anything. But you get up and you choose the story of Jesus. Be faithful to that story that you are choosing. You are choosing week in, week out. Now, if you can't get up and go, the awesome part is Jesus will come to you. He'll come to you in the form of our amazing ushers. (laughs) But I, I think that's really important that we choose this. Every morning we choose the story of Jesus. And the moment you feel like I'm not choosing the story of Jesus and someone else is choosing it for me, it doesn't work that way. Jesus was faithful to us to the very end, and he calls us to faithfulness to him. He calls us to submit to him as Lord, and we do this as a family of believers. So when you take this communion today, I am hoping you can rejoice in what God has done. Rejoice in how God is working in your life. Let's have a moment of reflection and then we'll pray for the meal that we're about to take.